broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. And thank you for listening to this episode of Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That over there is Carlin. And that over there is Jordan. And today we are talking about a fan selection. Yes, this was submitted by Alex Mercado. And the film is called Som, which is short for sommelier. Yes. Which anyone who doesn't know what a sommelier is, is a wine expert. And I'm talking expert, expert, expert. Yes. They know everything, pretty much. But it also depends on what level you reach. Yeah. This documentary in particular focuses on becoming a master sommelier, which is the highest, um, the, I guess the highest you can reach as far as sommelier goes. And it looks very intense. And there, um, at the end of this film, there were only 197 master sommeliers in, in the, the world. world. So yeah. that should tell you how this prestigious is, it is. This is like, I, I would say that it's probably like the hardest event in the Olympics for the service industry that you can think of. Oh, yeah. I mean, hands down. It's, it's insane. But, anyway, we, we better do our Netflix due diligence. Yeah, uh, so this one, here's the, su- uh, the summary. Four sommeliers embark on an all-consuming course of study for the prestigious and nearly impossible to pass master sommelier exam. And it was directed by Jason Weiss. Um, and he really hasn't done a lot else besides this um, in terms of directing. He has a couple shorts one called Epic Battle and one called 90. And then he also directed the TV series Escape Seeker. I um, heard of that. Yeah. No clue. Exactly. Um, but it does, it looks like it has like a travel theme to it, which made sense if you look at how this movie is shot. They do a lot of uh, interviews internationally, and there's a lot of um, global like map images and stuff that are used in this. So I wonder if he kind of got the idea from that uh, based off of like the traveling he had done for that uh, the TV series. Um, now, though... Did you say it was a 2012 film? I don't think I did, but it okay. is a 2012. 2012. There you go. And um, the, the people, some of the people that were in the film, the um, four guys who were the um, main sommeliers that were fi- followed were Brian McClintock, Dustin Wilson... Ian Cobble and Delyn Proctor, or Delyn. Delyn. Delyn Proctor. Delyn. Um, and then another guy who, um, who is kind of, I guess, the godfather of the Master Sommelier program. Uh, Fred Dame. Fred Dame. Dude, that guy was a ball buster, wasn't he? He was a bit crazy. Well, the thing about him though is he was the very first American to reach Master Sommelier, mm-hmm. and then he brought the whole teaching to the United States. Yeah. So he's a pioneer. So he kind of has that swagger to him, you know, and he's he likes to bust people's balls over it and kind of, like, give them a hard time because I think he's kind of like the tough love type person, yeah. you know. But then once people reach their goal or they start doubting themselves, he steps in and he changes his tone. And yeah. it's just like, no, you're fine. You're going to be all right. Or congratulations. Because in the end, when, you know, some of the people make it, he... Well, one he's he tells one person who makes it, Brian, and he makes it sound like he's not he didn't make it. Yeah. And then flips it around and he's like, Oh, good job. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. He seemed to be like that kind who liked to string you along and then play and with then, people's emotions. Exactly. Gives them satisfaction. But for for the one who he talked to who didn't make it, he was very for, forthright with them. Yeah. And there were two total that didn't make it. So half of the people uh, showcased in the film did make it and half did not um, so but interesting um, did you have any extra behind the okay not really um, it one thing that I noticed about the film um, that I wanted to mention right off the bat was that it focused a lot on Brian Dustin and Ian yes. more than it did Dylan and I think that was because Brian, Dustin, and Ian were very tight friends. It seemed like they were working together. Extremely good friends. Now, Dylan got along with them, Mm -hmm. and there were scenes where it's all four of them and they're chatting, and it looks like they're having a really good time, but you can tell throughout the course of the film that 
you know, they're all friendly, but Ian, Brian, and Dustin are, like, super friendly, like, they're best friends. And also, I think Dylan lived in another town. Yes, I think that was another aspect of it. Yeah, but it was, it was a little awkward, though, with the way that it, it, it came across. I agree. I agree with you on that one. So, it made me kind of think, why didn't he just focus on the three guys? Right, exactly. Since they already had that built-in relationship. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of confusing. This film, by the way, took three years to make. I, can I mean, three it. years to actually film. So that was over the course of three years. So crazy. That's interesting, considering, like they they made it like. It doesn't feel that. No. Well, I think what they did, they must have shot like the initial stuff with the four guys first. Yeah. And then they went back and they. They went back and did the interviews with different sommeliers and different vineyard probably. owners and everything after the fact. Yeah, probably. That, that's probably how they did it. Um, the in the very beginning, I think is is it Ian who's talking in the beginning? Oh yeah, and he gives this great quote about it's a that it's about people and their passions. Yeah, and he he's talking about like the taste and the smells of wine, and it's really an escapist kind of um, rant that he goes on. Basically, it's kind of like he's like losing himself while he's talking about it, kind yeah. of showing you how they really, really immerse themselves in the world of wine. And it is kind of like an escapism because he's talking about how, you know, you can smell, you can smell and taste a wine and you're just like tasting, you know, all these different things and smelling all these different things and you're just like lost, basically. And there's another point in the film where I think another one of the guys makes a comment about, uh, I think it's Dustin because he used to, he was like a geography major. Yeah. And that's how he got interested in um, terroir and, you know, viticulture. And so then he's talking about how it's, it's about the geography and when you're smelling and tasting all these different things, you're actually, in a way, visiting these different regions of the world and tasting what the earth tastes like right. and experiencing that region that way. And yep. I thought that was really interesting. One of the sommeliers that they interviewed, not one of the four candidates, but one of the other sommeliers, mentioned that she would taste rocks. Like when they would go different places, she would taste like rocks from that area to try and get an idea of what the ground would quote-unquote taste like. Yeah. You know, so she said she was like picking up rocks and licking them. Well, there are a few people throughout the film that talk, who talked about smelling and tasting different things just to know, yeah. to have it in your repertoire, basically. Like rotten reference. petunias, dried petunias, yes. fresh petunias. Yeah, they were kind of pointing out, you know, how many people smell a flower? Probably a decent amount of people, but how many people smell it in the three different stages, which is, yeah. you know, freshly opened, dry, uh, wilted, and decaying. Yeah. And that's what they do. And the one guy said he'll, like, go to the farmer's market and he, like, smells every fruit and vegetable there, every herb and spice. Yeah. And just... And that gave me an idea because, if anyone doesn't know, I do a beer podcast as well called Brutal Battle. And there's a lot of um, similarity between the craft beer community and the wine community. I mean, obviously, craft beer is not as uptight as wine is and looked at as seriously as wine is. Right. But it's starting to get to the point where people are appreciating craft beer the way that people appreciate wine. Mm -hmm. You know, there's specific cuts of glassware to use for tasting um, certain beers, and people are getting very serious, having podcasts, obviously, about the tastes and the smells that they're getting out of the beers. And the descriptor thing is something that a lot of people do. I do it... Um, I don't think I do it as effectively as some podcasters do, but there are a few out there who will just bring out all these crazy things. And you use like you've used a scent wheel in the past. Yeah. You know, like to try and give a better idea of where you're coming from with what you're smelling. Which they have something exactly like that for wine, mm -hmm. uh, and it just kind of gives you like the different sectors of types of smells, and then breaks it down from there of like all the different smells within that sector you could get out of a wine. And same thing with beer. But it really gave me a good idea that I'm, I'm going to try to smell kind of like everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it will add to my repertoire for when I do the beer podcast. I'll be able to, you know, be, you know, I smelled some wax, like a wax candle today. And I'm like, okay, got it. I smelled the inside of my desk at work because it smells like cedar. 
just to like refresh me on what does cedar really smell like um it's very pungent and i do know there are beers out there that are aged with cedar and i know i've had some before and it tastes good but I couldn't remember what cedar specifically smells like. So to kind of refresh yourself on these things is a good idea. Well, here, would you like my shirt? I no. Mean... <laughs> I don't want to smell your armpits or your, your BO or anything. I smell my own BO when I'm at the gym and other people's, actually, because sometimes when the air conditioning hits people the right way. The gym's a funky place. Uh, yeah, in more ways than one. But... Um, yeah, so for that reason, it was an interesting film for me to give me ideas of things that I could do because it's so parallel between craft beer and wine. Also, in the respect of that you have sommelier, well, for the craft beer community, you have what's called Cicerone, mm-hmm. which is kind of the certified sommelier. I don't, I don't know that there are different levels of Cicerone. I think Cicerone is just a level in itself, and right. it's the final level. Um, I hear it's very, very tough to get. Just like, you know, the Master Sommelier. There, there's like a tasting portion where you have to taste these beers and figure out, you know, what's wrong with them, if there's anything wrong, and kind yeah. of do like with the wine. But I don't think it's, I think it's like a written exam at that point. But what they're doing with the wine in this is they're just like firing these descriptors And off. they have like four and a half minutes to do it for like... It's insane. Per, I think it's like, sadistic. Was it four and a half minutes per t- wine, or was it four and a half minutes for all of the wines? No, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was four and a half for all of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because what they did was they had a lineup, three white, three red, and they would have to pick up a glass, you know, swirl it, smell it, tell you what they, they get off of the smell. One guy got things like a fresh-cut garden hose. Yeah. Well, and he was made fun of for it later in the film. Because that's another thing. The guys would make fun of each other a lot. Yeah, there was very much a bro culture to this movie. Yeah, definitely. But you were saying about that. Uh, well, there, he was sense. getting smells like fresh cut garden hose, lavender, tennis ball. Yeah. You know, just all sorts of crazy stuff that you wouldn't expect from that. I smell, I, I take a sniff of wine and I smell butter. Yeah. You know? The thing we, that was nuts to me was to experience in real time their reaction after they take their first few sniffs of the wine. Yeah. Because it's crazy, because they just, like, sniff it, and then they're just like, um, viscosity is medium plus, uh, body or body is medium minus, mm-hmm. and they're just like, color is this, and then they're just like, uh, smells like uh, some, you know, grapefruit peel, peach fruit, uh, fresh-cut garden hose, some grass... And, but they're just like, even faster than that, they're yeah. just firing off so quick. And I think about when I smell beer, I can't pick the smells out that fast. No. Not at all. So no, Well, and sometimes it takes you a good minute to, to finalize what you want to say yeah. uh, just about the smells. Well, the other thing is these people train so much, and you see yeah. it throughout the film. Like, they're constantly opening bottles of wine, smelling them, tasting them, and moving on just and i thought this has got to be expensive yeah yeah i I don't know how they can afford it first off yeah unless well i know one of my friends is a certified specialist of wine i might have mentioned that on the on the show before um but what he did was he went when he was going for his certification um his the store that he worked for um our, our local liquor store actually paid for him to take the training with oh, the, because it, it yeah because it benefited them. greatly but it was like you, you take the training and then you work for us for at least a year after that so he did that and he passed like on his first try which nice. apparently is very hard to do well that means he studied yeah oh yeah able to pick it up i know he studied because i helped him. <laughs> you were there i was there for the study which was probably pretty nice it was very nice because he was <laughs> bringing home like um 60 80 120 dollar bottles of wine Jeez. And he's like, okay, well, let's go ahead and make dinner. And um, the most interesting pairing that we had was, like, this really dry red with um, homemade buffalo wings. Okay. Yeah. But it was good. Um, yeah. He put a little too much too much wild bill sauce on it for his taste, though. <laughs> it was kind of funny because he's, like, wiping his forehead down with a, with a napkin. Well, 
one of the uh, interesting extras that I got, I, I was able to find an article that was an interview with um, Jason Wise, the director. Yeah. And they had asked him about, you know, how much wine would these guys go through? And he said there was one instance where they all got together and they had they had 60 bottles of wine for their tasting. Now, they you see, they, they don't even drink the wine usually. Yeah. Sometimes they drink a little bit. But they're usually just swirling it and spitting it out in the yeah. spit glasses or buckets or whatever. Um, but which threw out their wives. Yeah, but you got to think like that's expensive because they're not just tasting like cheap wines either. They have to know like all these wines, and that's the other crazy thing is they they have to be able to smell and taste a wine and then say what varietal of grape it is, um, where what region they think it's from, and what winery specifically and what vintage it is as well you know they'd be like oh this is uh from alsace lorraine it is a uh, riesling by whoever um i'm going to say it's 2001 vintage and it blows my mind how do you do that lots and lots of practice i mean it i was watching it and i was thinking about any job that requires a high level of skill Mm -hmm. um be it like computer programming, musicianship, um, even like race car mechanics um, or, or martial art specialists. These guys train for years to become yeah. that good at one thing. And that's why within this, they, they're spending so much time training, training, training. You can only take this exam once a year. Yeah. So if you don't make it, that's a whole nother year that you have to be using all these flashcards and studying every single day and continuing to taste all these wines and how it are is you consuming my question no pun intended oh yeah uh, but my question is where did they find the time to work i don't yeah exactly you know, it's like well a lot of them work with wine anyway so it's kind of like where they're working is is partially reinforcing <laughs> what they're studying i know um in particular uh, Dylan was working as as a sommelier in an actual restaurant. Yes. Yeah. Um, and was it Dustin who was as well? Yeah, I think I think Dustin was too. The one with the shaved head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I get their names mixed up, but I remember Brian was the baseball dude, and Ian was the bundle of nerves. Yeah, and it seemed like I mean they all had their kind of roles. Like Brian was like the head. Yeah. Like he was he was the alpha male in that group. Um, of the three, because I'm only going to think about the three because the chemistry with Dylan and the rest of them yeah. is kind of tacked on. Like, it's they, they don't have, like, a big history. Yeah. So, um, it's like Brian's the head guy, and then below him is the silent but respected one, Dustin. And then you have Ian, who's the newbie that gets picked on the most. Yeah. Is kind of how that played out. Yeah, and Ian, I, I kind of felt I kind of felt bad for him, but I also didn't care for him very much. Yeah, and I think part of that probably spawned from the uh, scene where he was doing the the practice tasting with one of the master sommeliers, and he swears up and down that they switched the wines unintentionally. The master sommelier smells and tastes each of them and says, nope, that's correct, and he continues to be like, well, I'm just not getting it. That's impossible. Like, he's just so vehement that... The master sommelier is wrong, and he's right, which, what's the chance of that? Yeah, and he's asking for both of the bottles, and he's, like, pouring into his yeah. cup. And, and, and the he's master, obsessed with trying to prove exactly, wrong. The master sommelier is talking to him, and he's like, look, let's talk about five and six, the, the, which are on the red spectrum. And he's still, like, yeah. like beating his head against these white wines, trying to figure out what he did wrong. Which, I, I think the, the master sommelier at that point um, exercises a lot of restraint. And he's very patient with him because of that. Because I think he understands the pressure and all yeah. that. Whereas some people may have, you know, kind of called him out for being a bit of a jackass. Um, not letting it go. But Yeah, and also there is another scene that kind of gets into it. Where he starts... Oh, yeah, being upset about yeah, people busting on him. Because the people are busting on him. Yeah, making, making fun of the way that he, he describes, describes wine. And yeah. the, the, the garden hose t- discussion... Um, where but it's it's funny because the people who, the two people Dustin and Brian who are busting on him about it are the ones that succeed. Yeah, and Ian doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, 
And here's the thing about, we, we've talked about how, how documentary making is all about telling a story and putting your slant on things. Right. And here I felt like the slant on the story was that, that Ian in particular was, like I said, a bundle of nerves. A guy who yeah. was really nervous. Like he had this bizarre schedule where he was waking up at three in the afternoon and then studying all night long. And he would actually make, um, make Dustin Skype with him. Yeah, and study. Study that way. Yeah. You know, and, um, and it was just, like, ridiculous. Um, but also, Ian was the only one who was not married. Right. You true. know, and, okay. He's in, he's in a relationship. Though. He was in a, he did have a girlfriend. Um, in fact, it was a long-term girlfriend. Because Are you sure he was the only one not married? Yeah. Of the three, of the Of the three yeah. of them. Dylan wasn't. Yeah, Dylan, they didn't. They, they, didn't. <sighs> they didn't cover much about Dylan, honestly. Which I think was another reason maybe they should have just focused on the three guys. Exactly. Because it seems like they focused so much on Brian, Dustin, and Ian. And they. I don't think they kind of, I think they ignored Dylan a little bit. I think they did. And the thing was that Dylan was, one of, was a more interesting character than the other guys. Right. Um, um, he brought some comedy relief, too, when... He was like driving to get to his exam, and he's like commenting. He's like, "Why don't people know how to drive in snow?" And yeah. like yelling at the cars, and that, that was hilarious. But he seemed he seemed like a genuinely nice guy who yeah, had, real nice had worked really hard to get where he was in yep. life, and he was not going to let anything slow him down. Yeah. I one of the great very scenes, determined, very determined. Very one determined. of the great scenes was right before his his um his session, his his test. He's standing over a stove, boiling water, trying to get his nose, his nose unclogged. Yeah. Well, and the, the funny thing, too, is I could totally relate to that, because I can't tell you how many times I have allergy issues, and I've been doing, like, a Brutal Battle podcast, and I'm trying to smell beer, and one of my nostrils closes on me. It makes it really hard, so I yeah. could relate. I understood what he was going through, and me thinking about how it is for me, and then putting myself in his situation, like, oh my gosh, that could be catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. And then, in fact, I think it did kind of sabotage him a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, I think for him it was that a little bit, and I think for um, Ian it was the nerves. Like, yeah. And it's, here. and here's the thing, um, two things I wanted to say. Well, the first thing I'll just finish up on, uh, Ian versus Dylan. I think a big difference between Ian and Dylan is the way they took the news of not passing. Yeah. Ian was devastated. He felt very sorry for himself. He was a mess. Dylan took it in stride. He's like, okay. His attitude was, yep, I did some stuff wrong. I did some stuff right. I'm going to be back next year. I'm going to make this happen. And then if you notice, when they were having all the celebrations, he was happy. He was joyous. He was taking pictures of people. Yeah, he was in a great mood. He was just happy to be there and yeah. doing what he's doing. Whereas Ian was just like he walked away. He was he Eeyore. He couldn't, you know, deal he was with it. Yeah. Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, just feeling sorry for himself. Which I understand that, and that may have been me in that situation for sure. But I'm just trying to point out the the massive personality difference between Ian and Dylan. Yeah, and why it it was important, I think, to focus on Dylan a little more. Yeah, so. I think. Well, here's the thing: is when you're telling a story. Which character is going to be the one that people are more interested in? The one right. who's a bit of a train wreck or the one who's, who's got his head on his shoulders? Wreck. Yeah. But, well, I mean, Dylan had his head on his shoulders. He had a good job. Yeah, he, he did. He did a great job with presenting. Um, and it was funny to see him interact with Fred Dame because Dame was busting his chops, mm -hmm. like, hard. Oh, do you mean during the... Um, the the service. Yeah, the service. They were doing practice. like the the practice service thing. And, yeah. Oh my gosh, Dame was trying to be like the most the annoying most jackass person you could. Yeah, and they were saying like really horrible things that, as far as wine goes, like horrible things that I think they were trying to throw it out there to see if Dylan would snap and throw something back at him. Yeah. Because one of the things is they didn't ask for a rosé wine; they asked for a, rose. a pink wine. Yeah. Which. Gets on the nerves of people who really know wine, yeah. me, me included. I will have to, I have to say at this point that I've had a lot of wine training myself. I took wine course in college, and I worked for a liquor store for a while out of college. And I was the owner paid for me to go to a very intense wine course, so I do know a decent amount about wine. It's not like any crazy amount, but but anyway, like that irks you when they say pink instead of rosé. And then on top of that, he's like, we want it cold. We want it super cold. And that's the thing. You don't want the wine to be super cold 
because you can't taste it very yeah. well. Yeah, cold. it clams up all the aromas and the flavors. Yeah, you want it to open up a little bit. I don't even like to put my like when I when I get wines, I don't like to put it in the refrigerator. Right. You know because I would prefer to drink it at room temperature where all the flavors are open, and they're asking it for it to be as cold as a, as humanly possible. So yeah. Dlin is like jamming it into a bucket full of ice and spinning it around yeah. and trying to get it really cold. And it's like, I kind of looked at it and, and I don't know a lot about wine. I enjoy a glass every once in a while, but I'm like, you're ruining it right there. They're yeah. intentionally having you ruin it. Yeah. And I think drinking wine cold and drinking beer cold too is kind of a uh, learned behavior. And we, we don't, want to break from that because it's kind of becomes tradition it's like what we've always been told so that's just what we go with yeah but even in the beer community i know people who are like well my porters and my stouts i i don't refrigerate them at all yeah because they taste better at room temperature they really do if you take any beer honestly and you um chill it unless it's something like coors light you make it cold and then you drink it over the span of maybe an hour yeah so that you have it when it's really cold and then you have it when it's warm like room temperature you can see a dramatic difference in how it it opens up over time like you don't get as much flavor or smell out of it at first and then it really opens up as it you know warms up yeah so i think that's something that people should start trying to change if they want to really experience the stuff and also something to remember is that your body metabolizes cold things slower. That's because, true. Because it has to work to bring it up to speed. Yeah. Uh, that's why if you're drinking water for hydration purposes, it's always better to drink your water at room temperature. Yeah. If not a little warm, because then your your body is actually metabolizing it a lot faster. Not that it has to metabolize water, but you know what I mean, actually getting it into your system. Yeah, which I do drink all my water at room temperature. Yeah, I do too. Um so I was talking about the the bit of wine knowledge that I do have. Mm-hmm. So to kind of tie in, um, the I talked about the Cicerone ordeal a little bit, you know, the craft beer version of sommelier. Yes. I myself look at that and I'm just like, oh, hell no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially after seeing Psalm because it's intense. And I know the beer isn't as intense. Like trying to be a Cicerone is not as intense as that, but it's still very intense. And what it makes me think of is, when you get that involved and you learn that much and you're living it and breathing it, wouldn't it kind of ruin it for you? It would certainly at least ruin, in my opinion, the magic of enjoying yeah. the, the, the beverage. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where you have what you, you, you originally thought of as something that brings you joy and brings you pleasure and everything like that. And you've turned it into something that you almost fear. Yeah, because you, uh, you're basically making it cause you stress. Yeah, yeah. And so now there are some negative emotions associated with it instead of just, you know, getting a good buzz and tasting something delicious. Yeah, and I, I think one of the great things about it is, like, the artwork for the, for the movie poster is a bottle of black wine, a black wine bottle, uh-huh. and in front of it is uh, the, the classical stem glassware. And you see the picture of a person's face pressed inside the glass. Like, it's the person is trying to escape. Yeah, because it is like they're trapped. Once you commit to doing right. this, there's kind of no turning back. Because you've committed so much to it that you have to see it through. And if you just quit, like, what was all of that for? Yeah. You wasted a lot of time yeah. and money, most likely. And it's also an interesting point to, to bring up that... The name of the company that produced the film, Forgotten Man Productions. You know, so it's like, not not to read too much into the name of the production company, but when these people are so deep into the process of becoming a master sommelier, they lose themselves in the actual process. Yeah, they lose their home life. They and all lose, that. and I, you know what? I honestly felt so bad for their wives and girlfriends. Well, Brian said at one point, he's like, I, I have a wife, I'm told. Yeah, right, you know, exactly. That kind of, I mean, obviously it's a little overdramatic, I'm sure, but at the same time, like, it kind of showcases how he recognizes that it's, he doesn't have much time for anything. Yeah, and also something that, that kind of irked me 
about what Brian said at the end of the movie. Brian was talking about how he has his wife and he's thinking that the biggest gift that he can give to her is his time. Yeah. You know, which is one way to put it. It is accurate, but another way to look at it is that maybe maybe what I would have said is now I have time to cherish being with my wife. Right. You know, because that puts a different spin on it. It's not like, oh, now I have time to bestow myself upon somebody, but now I have time to bring somebody into my life that I love and cherish and want to spend more time with. So, I mean, that that aspect and that that part of the wine culture kind of was a little scary to me about how much it's about your own personal life and how everybody else kind of falls by the wayside. And you just expect yeah. your, they just expect their wives to put up with this kind of behavior. And it's great because the wives are talking about the spit bucket. because <laughs> Having to clean it up the yeah. next day. And they're like, this is the nastiest thing in the world. And, and it, basically, you get the idea that they're that they're very tired of the entire process. Yeah, I and I can see that. And, you know, I'll, I'll share some information with you that, you know, my wife Rebecca has said before on certain occasions, I feel like it, everything's all about beer. It's all about beer. Because I do a lot for my beer podcast, and I also am trying to taste a lot of beer. Yeah. So I'm going out of my way a lot of times to go to um, new breweries or to trade for new beers or go to different liquor stores to find new beers that I haven't tried before um, because I want to have a very large breadth of beers I've tried. Right. And she's made the comment before. She's like, I just feel like everything's about beer. So I've tasted a little bit, no no pun intended, but I've tasted a little bit of that kind of world, um, not nearly to the degree that these guys are doing so I can't even imagine you know the thing is that the commitment to any long-term endeavor is going to bring that kind of strain on a relationship yeah well look when people try to start their own companies exactly same type of thing yeah I mean I feel bad a lot of times because um my time spent with my girlfriend is us watching movie for the movies for this podcast but the good thing about that is at least it's watching movies and not doing something Doing something by yourself that yeah, the person exactly. has no interest in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it. I felt really bad because um, we went out for dinner on Saturday night, um, and then I'm like, "Well, why don't we go see Gone Girl? Because you really want to see that." And by the way, it's a really good movie. Um, I want to check it out. Yeah, it, but it was like, I I felt really bad because she said, "I think this is the first thing that we've gone to the theater to see that I suggested." <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like, "Oh." Oh, and that's a little awkward. You and I are kind of experiencing a little bit of the same, which is a very small it, yeah, example of what these people yeah, experience. Yeah, because these Psalm. these guys are are they're it's pushing crazy, the they're man. pushing the boundaries of their relationship in which, a very hard way. I know there have been some people who have said that that they view this film as a um, an example of obsession. You yeah. know, just looking at the world of someone who's obsessed with something, and. Yes, I agree, but at the same time, this isn't just like a, a hobby obsession that some people have. This is like a career obsession. Like, I need to succeed because it will open doors for me type thing. Yeah. And, and it does. It does. It and, and, well, the great thing about it is, um, well, it doesn't really tell you too much about their relationships after they leave, but it does tell you that they all, all four of the guys do manage to get jobs in the wine industry, even yep. if they don't pass. Yep, yep, yep. So. Yep. Um, so one of the other things that I want to talk about is the fact that it's, it looks like from a macro view of the film and the, the you know, meat of the film, the whole storyline, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. It's silly. You know, why would, why would human beings be that obsessed and interested in a beverage? You know what I mean? But you have to think about, you know, it's it's an industry, you know, and it's an industry that thrives on pushing this kind of thing. You know, how many people, when they go out, if they can afford to go to a very fancy place, how many people want to have a sommelier there to say, oh, you know, we have this amazing bottle that I've chosen to pair with your dinner. You yeah. don't have to do any of the thinking, and guaranteed it's going to be amazing with what you're eating. I mean, how many people feed into that and want that a lot of people um it's 
like I said, my friend is is a certified specialist of wine. I'll go into the store and I'll say, call him, text him. No, I'll I'll literally go into the store. Oh, that's right, his store. His store, and I'll go, hey, I'm going to a dinner party tonight. They're serving they're serving this cut of meat. What would be a good dish to go with that, or a good wine to go with that particular dish? And he'll take me there, and he'll say, here's a great option for fifteen bucks. I'm like, score. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, in my life, I have people call, text me um, about craft beer related We've stuff. We've done that before. That's true. Did I go, I think I went with you one time to pick out a mixed six pack of yeah, beer. Yeah, we did. Yeah. That, and I have people call and text me and be like, I'm at a liquor store, I'm thinking about a few things, or this is the style I'm looking for, what should I get? And I enjoy that. It's fun because I can use the knowledge that I have. It's not just pointless. Um, one of the other things that I've gotten quite a bit is my wife's sister um she will travel to like other states from time to time and she'll text me ahead of time and say i'm going to the state what brewery should i hit up and she'll tell me like what city she's going to be in and she's like anything around this city is good so then i'll kind of sometimes i research it a little bit but there are plenty of times where i'm just like off the top of my head i'm like oh i know what brewery's there you gotta hit this brewery. You gotta hit this, and then she'll usually get back to me and be like, "Okay, I really like that stuff." So, it's I mean, it's satisfying, and I guess for that reason, I see why these guys feel like it's going to be a big payoff. Not just because of the career, but it just feels good when you can make recommendations to people for something that's going to make them feel great. You know what I mean? And that people are really going to enjoy it because that's a job where being a sommelier, you're only going to get good feedback unless you're serving someone else of equal stature who yeah. is a little smarter than you or wants to put one over on you. Yeah. Well, and, and also, I, I think the same thing kind of goes into film criticism, too. Yeah. Because we're talking about movies, and both of us have experience where we've either studied cinema, or in your case, you've even directed cinema, like uh, music videos and stuff like that. So we both know what goes into making good shots, what goes into to making a script that's worth telling. Um, so I feel like when we give people movie suggestions on the yeah. podcast or even off the podcast, we're able to, to give them a good sense of what they're looking yeah. for. And at our office, I mean, I do have people come in to my room and be like, hey, you know, I want to watch a movie. What should I watch? What's good? What have you seen lately? Because they yeah. know about the podcast. Also, with the beer podcast, people at the office come in. I have one person in particular who keeps coming in, and he'll be like, hey, I want to get a new beer this weekend. What's good? What should I get? Yeah. And I just tell him, he's like, okay, going to get it. Like, they, they start to trust you. Yeah. And that's the great thing. But one, you know, one of the things I want to piggyback on that is towards the end of this film, you know, Dustin talks about how he passed the exam, but there's still even more pressure, he feels yeah. like, because you have, you have to, to be the sommelier, the master sommelier, all the time. All the time. And you need to continue to try wine so that you know all of the wines, because new wineries come up, new um, varietals ha- go into production. You know, there are so many different varietals of grape that no one can possibly know all of them. And then sometimes, like, new ones will come into favor. They'll use it for blending, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're going to need to know that kind of stuff. But in addition to that, it's interesting because he can't step down. You know, like, he can't be off it for, like, a second. It Because he's reached this stature, yeah. everybody's expectation is that he will be the most knowledgeable wine person, period. So if he screws up, people are immediately going to question him and be like, oh, he's... He's a master sommelier just in name, you know? Imagine going to a dinner party as a master sommelier. You're always expected to bring yes. at least five different bottles of wine that will go well with yes. every course. But let me point out a flip side to this, and that is if people know you're a master sommelier, they are more willing to trust you. So you don't necessarily have to be on top of your game as long as you're not being challenged by someone with the same amount of knowledge. Well, it's kind of like the emperor and the, the emperor and the tailor. You know how the emperor gets a new set of clo- clothing, and he's running around town in a parade wearing his birthday suit, and a little kid just points at him and goes, "He's naked." Yeah. You know, I mean, the sommelier could pick something that legitimately would taste good with it, but they point at it and they go. I saw this in the store. It's barefoot wines. It costs only five bucks. Yeah. 
and it's terrible. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah, I'm I'm just making a, a random choice of a. Of no, a that's fine. I just but I can't not throw my recommendation behind around. Barefoot. I don't like it. No, it's I, no good. I've never really got into that. And I'm sorry, I need to just say a little something. People believe that if a wine is expensive, it's great. It's not, not necessarily true. Not necessarily true. There are expensive wines out there that I don't think are worth the price at all. Yeah. But on the flip side, there are inexpensive wines out there that I think are great. Yeah. And it's about finding those or finding the person who can tell you about those. Yeah. And like, and honestly, if you can find a good wine in the five to twenty dollar range. And you can find plenty. Oh, and you can definitely find plenty. Plenty. I have found so many good wines, but then you go to, um, you know, five to twenty range. But then you get into the sixty to hundred range, which is the more, the higher end of what I'm willing to spend, right. and I'm not even willing to spend that on a regular basis, you know. But it's uh, um, if you find something that that's horrible that doesn't match the either doesn't match the mood. Or the or the meal, or if it has a, a taste that's off, you know, because even good wineries have bad years. Well, and there's also an issue with using actual cork in bottles. You have a tendency to get, um, you can get a mold yeah. on the cork that grows on the cork. It's you know, you you'll say if you open it up and you say it, the wine is corked. Yeah, it means that that mold has grown on the cork, which has infected the wine, which makes it. Smell like wet dog yeah. or wet cardboard and taste not good. Have you noticed that more and more wines are going to a, a twist cap? Yeah, and there was a big issue with that where everyone was saying, oh, it's not high class because the corks look better. But the thing is, you eliminate the risk of having a bottle of wine become corked. Yeah. Um, you know, having that, that, uh, that mold in there if you're using a twist cap. Or they, people were also using synthetic corks for a while, and people had an issue with that because it wasn't real cork because they're purists. But, you know, here's the thing. better for production. In any line of interest, there are the snobs. Yes. There are the snobs. I mean... And that's what these guys are trying to become. They're trying, trying to, to be, be the snob. The snobbiest of the snobs. Right, but they're getting paid for it, too. Exactly. Here's the deal, though, is I felt like, you know... Aside from Ian, they were all fairly likable people. They weren't like yeah, those... Yeah, I liked all of them. They weren't like the the alpha male kinds who would, you know, you would hate to be around because they're always, you know, kind of beating their chest and going, I picked this, it's the best, and you're, yeah. you're not going to find anything else like it. They were genuine people who were struggling to do something that was very hard, right. but they were, you know, overall... They were nice people, and it was good to see them succeed. At well, they, they kind of have to be because they're trying to get, they're trying to work in in a Customer industry service, that is yeah, yeah service oriented, and that's one of the things that they're gauged on with that exam. You know, and that's something that I had a criticism about the movie for is that they they, they only showed the tasting portion. They show of the, exam. the tasting portion. I had the exact same problem, but they didn't show the service. They. Oh, the service definitely should have been shown. That, that would have, would have been cool. That would have been a more dynamic, dramatic part of the thing. Maybe they couldn't work out the rights with the Master Sommelier Certification yeah, Board. because they may not have wanted that information out there for anyone who was studying so they could know what it was going to be But they could like. have at least shown more of the, of the practice sessions right. that the guys were having. I agree. Yes, I do. Also, um, I mean, just have like at least some small shot of them doing the theory part of the exam too. I'm sh I know it's just like no, it was answering questions. Yeah, it was it wasn't writing. So yeah, why aren't they why didn't they show that? They should have showed every step of it. I understand that the tasting portion is the most interesting. Yes, correct. It is. But I feel like you need to show all of it if you're going to talk about you know, the master sommelier exam in its entirety. And also also I feel like they had they had a whole bunch of extra people on there, like in terms of, um, like subject matter experts. Yes. That were not even that didn't even need to be on there. It felt like they were there to pad the story or pad the movie more when they could have been showing more of this like practice and the theory, rather than just the tasting. Yeah. So I mean that that to me is just like. And how many shots can you show of somebody sitting at a desk flipping through cards? That and how many shots can you show as your transition pieces of exploding wine glasses? 
Yeah. Which, I mean, looked cool, and it's interesting, and it looked really good, but vary it, please. Like, don't just, just keep showing that. Because you're showing the same... It's not the exact same shot, but you're showing the same thing. The concept. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. Which I understand that it's kind of like a way to show the pressure. You know, like, oh, these guys are could potentially break under the pressure and kind of, like, ratchet up the tension a little bit. I, th- I think that... But you can do different stuff. I think the poster does a better job of showing the tension. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I definitely would. Which, by the way, that I think the story itself did a good job of moving things along. Um, it was edited well enough that it moved things along fast enough, yeah. yet it allowed you to kind of feel the weight of the situations they were in and the stress. One thing I, w- I did want to mention about the way that the editing worked, um, I did have one one compliment to it and one criticism. First compliment, the first the compliment, I liked the split screen, like yeah. on their face and then from the profile when they were t- tasting the wines. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I thought that was a good technique to show, like, different fluctuations. It also caught the light differently in the glass, which was good from from that perspective. Um, one of my criticisms was it's too much like a reality TV show. Because yeah, I could see that. You know, they they have the guys. They they like have Ian sitting on the floor talking about like in a confessional kind of way right. talking about like how he's just a nervous wreck and then you have a cut to um, Dustin and, and uh, McClinic um, standing on a cliffside overlooking Los Angeles it looked like talking about how they don't want to be around him towards the end of the classwork because he's, he's just stressed. so stressed that yeah. that. They don't even want to deal with them. Which the interesting thing is, and you had brought this up before, that, that you know, what's his name, Cobble, uh, Ian, is yeah. is there to, like, be the, the most stressed out guy. And he is, but you can, if you pay attention, you can see different, like, the stress On different in all ways. of them yeah. in different ways, yeah. And I think for Brian, you see it most with his... Um, when he's talking about worst case scenario versus best case scenario, yeah, worst case scenario, one of us fails and two of us yeah, pass. Because then the, that one person's totally alone because they're like best yeah. friends, and that's what ends up happening. So it's perfect for the story. But while he's talking about that, you could see the stress building up in him. Yeah, like you really can if you pay attention. Um, there are also moments where you can really see the stress with Dustin. Like he questions himself quite a bit about some things. Obviously, Especially the tastings. Yeah. And with Ian, I mean, it's just that the stress is so out in the open. Just like not... I mean, it's it's kind of overdone how stressed he is and how he shows it. I thought his study techniques were actually pretty cool. With yeah. like the maps and stuff. Oh, the maps. Yeah, who was that? That was Ian. That was Ian. Which I thought was kind of surprising because Dustin was into the geography. And he kind of seemed a little derisive that Ian was doing the maps and, and making sure that, you know, he was laying out the regions properly and everything like that. Um, so that was interesting. Um, I think one of the things that you could tell with Dustin was that he just did not have a lot of personal confidence. Yeah. You know, yeah. like he he was doing this to reaffirm himself more than anything. Yeah. And that's, you know, probably part of where his comment about even more stress because he's a master sommelier then. Yeah comes in because you would think that once people reach that that pinnacle mark yeah that they would feel relieved and be like all right i'm awesome like i know exactly what i'm doing but you can see he's not confident he's still not confident even though it's been proven to a board of master sommeliers that he is worth being a master sommelier but in his mind he's still got a lot of work to do yeah well and honestly i can understand that personally because it, you always want to improve. You always want to improve. Yeah. And like with the classes that I'm taking right now, it's not it's not anything as rigorous as what they're doing, but I still want to do a good job and even when I finish the classes, a lot of times I'm successful, but it still feels like I, you know, I could have done this better or I could have learned more about that. You know, I could have brought this comment in that would have made a lot more sense in my final paper, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um Another thing, when we when we were talking about how alone, you know, Ian was, it's shown very well in the film when they kind of console him and then they start talking about being happy for themselves and just like the look 
on Ian's face. Just it's just like, like depression, you oh. know. And it it's tough to watch when you're watching yeah. the film because you kind of, you, I mean, you feel for him. He's worked so hard. He's worked as hard as everyone else. It's not harder. Yeah, it, it kind of. Well, and the thing is, he's he was stressing himself out more than everyone else. And you see, like the other guys trying to do their relaxation techniques, which one of the master sommeliers talks about and says it's very important to like really relax yourself because your nerves can make you second guess yourself or cause you to, you know, do things wrong. Yeah. I love how Brian just goes and lays out the billiards. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was doing a great job with making himself relax. Yeah. And I think Dustin was doing a great job with it too, but you see Ian, he did not do a good job with making himself relax at all. And maybe that was part of the reason that he didn't pass uh, the first time around right. on there. It does, the film does give you a coda at the end where it talks about how he goes back and he finishes, um, like, 18 months later, they have the next test. Yeah, something like that. 16 to 18 months later. And he apparently, he, he gets it that time. Yeah. So it's good to, it's, it's kind of weird because it felt good to see him not get it at first. And then it, you know, it was it was made you feel like less of a horrible person for kind of being glad he didn't get it when well, he did. Well, because succeed. honestly, if you watch a documentary like this and everybody succeeds, it's kind of like why did you? Well, do the documentary? then what's the point? Why can't I walk in there and slam back some right, lines? Right, right. It, it makes it look too easy, yeah. and, and that's not what this is about. And that's another thing is I think this is a documentary that I enjoy because it highlights something that a lot of people don't know about. You know, a lot of people don't know, like a lot of people know the word sommelier, but a lot of people don't know what goes into becoming a sommelier or exactly what they do. So to be able to see, you know, like the inside view of it, yeah, I think is helpful, is interesting, is cool. So, you know, any thoughts on that? Did you feel the same way about it? You know, I honestly kind of wish they talked a little bit more about what went into being a sommelier. Yeah. You know, because... Um, they they talked about how it's this hard thing to achieve and everything like that. But from what I understand, the restaurant service is a very competitive world to be in. So I kind of would have liked to see a little bit more of the guys at work, work. At work yeah. you know, dealing with customers and showing all that. If they can't show their service test, then why not show that? Right. To give us a little bit more of an understanding. And then also discuss more about what the actual responsibilities of the job are, yes. rather than discussing how difficult it is. Another thing I would have liked to see was um, the other levels of Master Somal or of Sommelier, like, explain a little bit the other levels. I like, there's like they three. just say what they are, but they don't say, like, what that means. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... What are you expected to know at those different levels? If they could, like, say what the difference in those exams are. You know, just because this is only about the Master Sommelier exam, which is very interesting, but it's part of a larger thing that I think they should have covered just a little bit more to give you some backstory on it. Because all of those guys already were certified. Yes. So. Well, and but the way the, the film plays is that they're coming from nothing. Yeah. It feels like and it's, it's not a, accurate. It feels like a story of a novice all of a sudden yes, getting yes. their black belt. And they're already extremely achieved. So it, it's a false feeling in yeah. a way. So yeah, they should have had more information on that. But I mean, minor, kind of minor, eh, medium. medium I think it's issue. a medium thing because we, we learn a lot about how uh, Fred Dame likes to go halibut fishing. You know? Yeah. Yeah, they didn't need to have that at all. Yeah. What, what was the point of that? Well, and then the story about him in the in the playing pool. Yeah. Yeah, there's... It seems like there was a little bit of an ego stroke going on there. I think they easily could have made this maybe like a half hour longer and it's still very interesting and engaging. I don't think that would have hurt it. Um, I, I don't know if they had the budget for it, though. That's true, yeah. There is that to consider, certainly. Especially... Well, documentaries have such a hard time getting budget money anyway. I... You know, I was interested to see what your gauge on this film was because I didn't know if my opinion is skewed because I know more about wine than your common person. So I found myself thinking when I was sitting there, I'm really enjoying this because I know about wine. Yeah. But how's Jordan feeling? Because I, I like know that you knew some, but I didn't know how much. And 
And then I was thinking, like, how about the person who doesn't know anything about yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I am definitely a layman. I mean, I, I can tell you how to pick out a good wine from the shelf. You know, I know, like, what the, the good things are to look for in, in terms of mentioning varietals and what kind of flavors and everything like that. And I can, I can typically pick out five to six flavors off of a wine, you know, just like, you know, if you smell it and you're like, oh, well, this is dry and everything like that. I can't tell you viscosity and alcohol content or anything like that. Um, All right, tell if there's flocculation or not. Yeah, it's some like, other word they came up with. Some of these words are like, what the what in the world does? While that you mean? talk, I'm actually going to yeah. try to look up flocculation. You know, uh, the thing the thing for me um, is it goes back to the the thing at the very beginning where it's talking about how, that the movie is about people and their passions, and my question is, does it come away um, making the people and their passions look good? And in some ways it does because it does show a sense of achievement, but then it also brings up the question of the achievement at what cost, you know, and we talked a lot about how the relationship strain was a big part, was an undergirding part of the movie that was not really explicitly mentioned except in a few places. Yeah. Also the financial strain yeah. of it. Yeah. They should have talked about they, that. They should have talked about that. And they're, they're talking about like going to the grocery store and getting like tons and tons of wines you know that had to be something they had to be picking up four or five bottles every day and then day. they're spitting a lot of it out exactly. so it's, it seems wasteful you but. know so there's there's so much strain into this um and also you kind of you get into the the thing with any any academic thing where you have to pay a lot of money for a big test at the end yeah it's you, like 800 bucks yeah. each time you take that exam you know it's like you get to that point, and not only that, but they had to fly out to to Dallas to take the test. Yeah. So. And be there for three days. And be there for three days. That's a big financial toll on anybody. I it just was like, I came away, like you said, for some people it's about obsession. Yeah. And I did certainly see that level of obsession there, um, but I would kind of like to see a more personal side of it. Like, what were the effects, the overall emotional and psychological and personal toll that the the pursuit of this one dream did for that person. Yeah. You know? By the way, I have the... Uh, fluctuation? The flocculation. Flocculation. The definition of flocculation is this. In the field of chemistry, it's a process wherein colloids come out of suspension in the form of flock or flake, either spontaneously or due to the addition of a clarifying agent. So essentially, what it, they're saying is that there are little flakes of something floating around in the in the wine. Right, which I would assume um, could be something like tartaric acid. If anyone's had, um, you know, uh, a dry white wine, I love dry you, wine. You see like those crystals at the bottom sometimes. Yeah. That's tartaric acid that's crystallized. So that might uh, qualify as flocculation in the wine, is my supposition. Yeah, probably not a big deal with it with the flavor overall. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't know one way or another, but I guess I guess we're kind of moving into the final assessment range. Oh yeah, of the pod the final of the exam exactly yeah. for some. Um, I did have some. I liked the movie to a certain extent, but then again, I I did have some criticisms of it. Yeah. Um. So, I thought that the the directing was. Adequate. It was nothing cinematographically, cinema, cinematographically stunning. You know, um, I I did like some of the slow motion stuff they did with the wine swirling and glasses. Yeah. With light shining through it, that looked pretty. Perfect example of how HD really benefits this yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. I bet it did. I watched it on my old CRT. I bet the HD looked. Stunning. Oh, it looked. Oh, it looked beautiful. It made the wine look amazing. Yeah. And the, the scene in the beginning where all the grapes are being harvested and then it's going through the whole process yeah. of making the wine and then it goes to the bottle, which is something I meant to bring up. That was a really cool way to start it yeah. because it's like, here's real fast the whole process of making wine. And I liked how it talked about how fermentation had a big part in to do with how like the flavors and the smells were uh, were uh, developed in the wine. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like... I felt like... Um, like D. Lynn was was kind of pushed to the side, um, which is a bit of a shame to see, um, because his character was was very interesting, 
and um, they didn't ever really touch on his backstory at all, yeah. um, which I thought was a shame because that's true. They didn't. It, it's kind of hard it, when you see someone, and, and this might sound harsh, but when you see someone who is a minority in in a very exclusivistic kind of role, and then they're focusing on three white men, the disparity there is, a, is it makes it a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I could see that. And maybe that's just me, but... No, I think it's other people as well. Yeah. Um, so, overall, I thought the film was serviceable in cinematography, except for the parts where they really knew that HD would make it pop. Um, I thought that the story um, could have had more of a human element to it, um, and less be about like the marathon of the study. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that um, there was a little, like the side trails with talking about Fred Dane. He's an important part of the story, but we didn't know, need to know about his fishing expo- exploits. Yeah. So overall, I would give this uh, about three stars. Okay. Um, I had a lot of the same issues that Jordan did. I mean, editing was pretty good, but there's some stuff that they should have switched around. They should have probably added some time to this film to suss out some of the extra things we wanted. And that's not something we say often. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, it could. It, it could easily take that, and people would still be interested. It was a smart topic to choose for an in-depth documentary it's very interesting it kind of writes itself yeah in that sense um you know there were those small to medium issues with the film but overall i think the concept was great the camera work was good the pacing i really liked uh just wanted some extra story to it yeah um all in all uh i enjoyed it and i think it's something that i i would probably watch again Oh, I think it would be fun to watch again, especially with someone who knows more yes. about the subject. And watching it made me really want to drink some wine. That's the other thing. So, um, overall, I'm going to give it three and a half stars. I did enjoy it. So, for the podcast, that's an overall three and a quarter stars, which is a nice showing. Very nice showing for us. Yeah. Do you think they would reach the master level? Not the master level of this podcast. I don't feel like they would reach the master level of this podcast. We've only had maybe two or three that have reached that level so yeah. far. One so. definite. Yeah. Let's let the right one in. Yeah. Uh, real quick, we still have a little bit more time. Do you want to talk about our big oh, yeah. Academy Awards? Let's let's go ahead and tease it. You want to? Sure. So we've been, we've been discussing um, a podcast idea that's going to be, a, I guess you could say, uh, Carlin and Jordan's most excellent special edition. Yes. Uh, where we're going through, and we're going to go ahead and break things down by category, by actors, you know, by um, genre, you know, just try and make up like something that's similar to the Academy Awards, and then we're going to go ahead and go through all of the films that we've done, ending at December of 2014. Uh, so anything between. Uh, November of 2013 and December of 2014 and we're going to go ahead and make our own best of. Yes. So we're basically doing our own Academy Awards giving out Oscars which maybe we should just call them the, the most excellence of the award. I was thinking of calling them the Chloe's after your cat. <laughs> I mean whatever we can decide it. We haven't picked all the categories but obviously um, it's going to be fun. If anybody wants to send some ideas for categories, maybe, yes. or give us your feelings on um, movies that should be nominees or actors should be nominees for things, um, that I, would be awesome. I have a feeling Jeffrey Rush is going to be high up there. <sighs> he should be. But we don't want to give anything away. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think we might break it down and do an episode that is all the nominees, and then we'll draw it out a little bit. And we'll have some regular episodes, and then we'll have the one where we actually reveal the winners of each category. So, a little something that we are teasing to you right now, just to get you excited. If you want to email us about it, certainly feel free. Uh, you can do that at mostexcellentmovienight at gmail.com. And if you're on the Twitter, one easy way for you to get a hold of us is to go ahead and use our Twitter tags. If you want to go ahead and follow us, send us movie suggestions. Uh, we just actually got a suggestion from my aunt, um, so I need to add that to the queue, and we'll oh, see yeah. what we can do about that. Um, so we're going to go ahead and uh, Twitter queues, yes, yes. handles. Don't I was forget. doing that. Uh, I'm at JD Dennis. I am at Brutal Battle, and Brutal is B R E W T A L. 
just like a brew of beer. Yes, exactly. It's just like it. Uh, last thing I want to say is thank you very much, Alex Mercado, for your recommendation of Song to watch. We did enjoy it. We did. You know, we should have broken open a bottle of wine and drunk with the review. Uh, it may have gone downhill after it a It might bit. have been. It might have, but it still would have been fun. Unless it was like a German Riesling, which is typically around 9% alcohol by volume, which is the lowest yeah. typically. So maybe it would have been okay there, but that's not my bread and butter. No, you're, you're more of a, a beer kind of guy. Well, I mean, I like wine too. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. All right, well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production. 